You're listening to the Moments of Clarity podcast by Six Seconds Europe. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast. Everyone has a light bulb moment in their life that leads to change. And life-changing events is a very topical subject as we come out of the pandemic and the world experiences new conflict. This emotional intelligence podcast has a simple premise that elicits some fascinating insights from our guests. Every Wednesday, I will be asking a special guest for their moments of clarity that contributed to changes in the course of their life journey. This season, the podcast will feature global experts on emotions, change and leadership, sharing real-life experiences and how they've used emotional intelligence to see the world and themselves more clearly. For more information on emotional intelligence and Six Seconds Europe, visit our website, sixseconds.org-eu. We have a truly inspiring first guest for Season 3 of this podcast. My guest today is Oksana Lemonishka, who is a refugee from Ukraine, who has had a huge change in her life thrust upon her by the Russian invasion of her country. Oksana is a University of Cambridge educated sociologist and a media and culture specialist who fled Ukraine on the first day of the invasion. Oksana tells us her emotional story of fleeing to Germany and shares great insights into why Ukraine has shown such resilience, determination and even positivity while shining a light for democracy and freedom in the shadow of darkness. Hi, Oksana. You're very welcome to the podcast. Um, it's great to see you. I think you're in Munich now at the moment. Technically, you're, you came there with your family and you're a refugee because of the war, the Russian invasion. You're from Ukraine. So where did you come from in Ukraine? Could you maybe tell us a little bit about your life? The last few weeks have been a dramatic upheaval in your life. Mm, thank you so much for, for having me, first of all. And yes, indeed, I'm in Munich right now. And that's a very, very good question I keep on asking myself. Um, so, you know, a couple of months ago, like two or three, I came to Munich uh, to work with Kammerspiele Theater. Um, we had a sisterhood project between Munich and Kiev. And we had panels, discussions about art, about artists and democracy and different topics. And back then I was not a cold refugee. And now I'm uh, in the same position. I came here. We also had panel discussions and suddenly this word refugee is being applied. And uh, this is how, how language sometimes changes reality. Because for me, apart from everything else, the route is the same. And I keep on asking myself, it could be a long discussion what refugee is. And uh, an image of refugee is the person who is incapable to help themselves, needs support, uh, fled the country. But then you are with a, with a Cambridge degree, working for international companies. You are looking for your new ways and for apartment. Of course, you need support and help, but it's not very different from what you would imagine if you just went abroad. How did I get there? It is also... An interesting story. I was lucky one to to left the country first uh, days. I live now in Ukraine. See, I even say I live now in Ukraine, <laughs> in Western Ukraine, in a small town, Ternopil, near Lviv. People know Lviv more. And uh, I work as a sociologist uh, and a researcher. I collect data and then we advise governments and ministries. 
And uh, we just finished the research about media consumption in Ukraine and how it influences society. And I went to present it on the 23rd of, uh, and uh, on the 24th, I woke up to the bombs, to the sound of shelling. It was five o'clock in the morning. This is when the war started. And it is such a weird feeling. You, you hear the, the, the shelling sound and you don't know what it is. You hope it's fireworks, but you don't know people who do parties at five o'clock usually then. And then we took, uh, I was with my boyfriend, we took the decision to leave immediately. And while we were walking to the central station, because transport was not working, uh, was trafficy, uh, we heard another shelling happen. Uh, it was two kilometers from us, city center of Kyiv. And that is so surreal. But once you hear this sound, once you hear this danger so close to your, uh, to your heart and uh, you you have no other decisions. We went to Ternopil. I hugged my family because we came with the family of my boyfriend. My family still stays in the West. And uh, we slept that night in the cars because of uh, uh, danger, uh, security alert, um, the at air attack alert. And we spent a couple of days near the border waiting for the queue to get a little bit uh, shorter. And with 16 hours lining in the border, in the car, we got to the Budapest, so stressed. And, and, and funny thing, in Budapest, the moment we entered the hotel, that guy asked us, well, there are so many Ukrainians coming. Are you guys having a conference here? <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know. Wow. And uh, yes, in Hungary, they have a policy of keeping things shut. So this is also answering some of the questions, how much we should talk about this. So thank you for for having this is the story of a refugee refugee you went to did you go to vienna first and then to munich so yes i do have friends around the place and my friend uh, martin from cambridge we studied with him together offered some of the places here in munich so we knew that first uh, days we could stay near munich but of course it's a long way uh, in budapest we uh, we got for ourselves a hotel room and yes refugees can have hotels turns out didn't know that um, and in Vienna, a common friend of ours make, uh, made us meet uh, wonderful people, uh, Florian and Kirstine. Never knew them before. They're professors. And they just hosted us for a couple of days. And it was one of the most uh, welcoming experiences here. And we are still in contact with them. Now they have our other friends um, been hosted in a beautiful uh, two-floor apartment in the city center and uh, this was so so welcoming and now we are in Munich and we were spending some time in Berlin as well and all of this time it's people opening their doors but also hotels opening their doors I'm talking now from a Munich hotel which offered us Adina hotel which offered us a couple of uh, nights free and this is amazing how people react to this because also all the transport here is free for us Germany and uh, this is really helpful. And who are you with? So you're with your boyfriend and his parents, is it? That was the first time I met his parents, basically. It's cool. also a funny story. 16 hours as parents of your boyfriend. <laughs> first encounter. But we did it well. We survived. We, we, we liked each other. So it was also another funny story. Uh, yes, I'm now with the, in Munich. I'm with my boyfriend. But then the parents probably will go back to Vienna. There is an apartment we found them, like a little bit more long term. And they also have friends who speak Russian and Ukrainian there. So they don't feel so isolated because us, we speak languages and they just speak Russian and uh, Ukrainian. So for them, it's much more difficult to leave everything behind and uh, to 
to be here. So how did they cope? Oh, they are amazing people, honestly. Um, they are both doctors and um, they are still trying to help people, uh, refugees, but also people back at home. So they're lucky to have work and to, uh, to, to have their days busy. And, uh, but they, they started learning language. So they were already ordering coffees and beers um, in English. But yes, it's, uh, it's much more difficult for them than for us. Because it, for me even, uh, see, I tell you, I live in Ternopil. So I still, I don't, I haven't figured it out that I can't go back for now. That's still very new to me. And for them, you can imagine they, they left all their life uh, behind them. And they were just facing their, they're in their 50s. So it's just the time when you figured it all out and you start enjoying and then you have somehow to accommodate to different reality. You know, it, I find that so hard to get my head around. So did you literally just all just have one bag sort of thing with you and that was it? That's your positions? Um, oh, this, uh, this, this boyfriend and his parents, they they packed a little bit more because they were living from apartment. I literally have whatever I am in, whatever I was in the business trip because my uh, house, my, my flat uh, in Ternopil is near the military object and everybody was evacuated from there because of the danger. So I couldn't even drop uh, to, to my apartment. Now there is an opportunity to maybe go because my, my parents uh, are still there and uh, it's um, relatively safer areas. Maybe I will get some, some stuff for, for me. But yes, basically what I was wearing and a computer and passport because I was on a business trip, that's all I have here. Were you nervous at the border? Did you know, because you were one of the first to be leaving. So were you nervous that you'd even be allowed leave or did you did you know did you have an idea I'm of that lucky in terms of as i said i traveled a lot i have international diplomas also support from abroad so for me it was i knew i figured it out we were worried about men because we were also the last ones probably when men were allowed out now men are not allowed uh, to leave the country doesn't matter their position or condition anything and this is terrifying so we were more scared about boys and men to to be with us mm. and they had to to go sep separately so um that was the bigger worry and other than that we knew that everybody is uh, allowed to be out even without documents um just with a certificate of birth so for me it was just a, a travel abroad you still you don't figure it out that it's something different so is it literally you're living from moment to moment is that how you get through it emotionally for now yes for now i leave from event to event because i participate here on different uh, in different events i also live day by day so i have a plans today to go and to, to buy shoes and I have some work uh, process done. I have to finish reports. So I plan, I gave myself time because I don't know where I want to leave. <laughs> I don't know which city I like and suddenly I have to choose it. That's very difficult. I don't know where I want to register. So for me, just giving myself a month or two here to just realize what I want and um, yes, see what I want to do further. That's that's what you say literally day by day. 
And did you think about England? You, you, you're in Cambridge. You went to university in Cambridge. Did you think about England as an option or? Yes, of course. I, I, I love England a lot. I love Scotland, Ireland. I love the places. It was one of the best years of my life. I loved experience there. We also worked with the Ukrainian Institute there of London. And uh, I had a couple of cooperations with Chatham House. So, but I was also one of the lucky persons who had her visa run out two months before everything happened. And now the queues are a little bit long. So even if you want to go to Britain now, you hit, you need to press it, say, and then figure it out what you're going to do then, the visa regulations. But definitely, and with English, uh, it's much easier to integrate because everybody speaks uh, English. I don't speak German uh, very good. So definitely visiting for sure and maybe working projects for sure. This is the country I I understand and feel home in. How are your family? Are they still in Ukraine? How are they doing? What is the situation there now? Uh, my family, my mother and my father are still in Ukraine. My mother has a 90-year-old uh, mom and she's taking care of her right now because her condition got worse. She can't move. So this is the reason what keeps mom in there. And um, dad is also, he's over 60. He's allowed to leave, but of course he's there to support mom and we are thinking of maybe making them leave at some point of time. I hope they could at least come and rest here because now they live under constant stress. The alert air attack alerts are so often. You, you mentioned there about talking with Chapman House and I, I listened to that and you were it was very interesting because the work you were doing before this war was sort of you were looking at the attitude of Russia to Ukraine and Ukrainians to each other and Ukrainians to Russia and also, you know, the the political class. So it was very relevant to what ended up happening. So were you surprised when this invasion happened or did you think this was going to happen? You know, we had warnings for lots of time and then at some point you get used to them. You're like... It's not going to happen first. And I think this invasion to this scale is a surprise to everyone. No one and no one believed it could be this. And yes, my job was to to study societies and to advise on how to make societies happier. And I worked for peaceful organizations. But, you know, now I back and then as well, I keep on wondering why all, all the peace organizations fail to maintain peace in this world. Why peace agreements don't work why we as the international community fail to maintain our democracy and to secure what we believe in most. So this is the questions I keep on asking myself because crisis in Ukraine is not because uh, of anything that Ukraine did wrong. It's because there is a country who has no principles and uh, is basically doing whatever they want to pursue egoistic irrational will to kill and invade and uh, the community european community is still discussing to close skies or not how nato can be involved or not and to me it's not about nato it's not about it's about as i heard in recent discussion with, with friends here it's a fight between systems it's a fight between democracy and autocracy and if 
Putin wins this war, it's a it's a lose game for everyone. It means that these things can happen. So if I were a part of international community, be it NATO or any other country, I would just do everything I can to show this guy that and the country that this is not possible in this world and time. We are subscribing ourselves to a very, very difficult future if we keep on negotiating instead of being strong in these times. And Ukraine has shown amazing resilience. The country seems very much together now, doesn't it? I mean, there must be, you must feel great pride. Zelensky has been such a great leader and he shows amazing emotional intelligence from the, yesterday I heard him talking about saying, we still want to negotiate. We still want peace. Even the terrible things that are going on every day, the genocide he still is saying, we'll talk to you. Mm, yes, I'm proud, first of all, of every single Ukrainian. And this has always been, when I was working with international organizations, I've always been thinking, not from the perspective of what Ukraine can learn from European community, because that is more or less clear and you have it fixed in, in the documents, but what Ukraine can give to the world. And I think this fears defense of what is essential for life this is such a fresh breath for everyone in the world that there are people there is a whole country who are not ready to compromise for whom freedom is actually more valuable than life so for me this is just um the biggest the biggest gift that people can uh, ukrainians are giving up to the world and Zelensky, I didn't vote for him personally, but I think because he was a comedian in the past, he was an artist, he was on stage. He's very good in this, uh, in this emploi of being a public speaker. And uh, emotional intelligence, yes, indeed, he learned this very well right now. And I also admire his speech. I admire that he doesn't call for more anger but he has this deep understanding of life in his speeches, of forgiveness. And even recently he talked about treating enemies with respect. And this is what I admire most about the, even the ideology of this point in my country, if you may say so. And you're right. Ukraine is showing the world the importance of democracy. And there probably has been, you probably noticed this through your work with media and sociology, that there's been a trend over the last few years, you know, of minimizing democracy and glamorizing autocracy all over the world. Maybe the Western world, we became a little bit too comfortable and we didn't value it. And this is showing the world. The example you're showing the world is that that is something that is worth fighting for. Mm, yes, and I would also here would like to throw into the picture capitalism. When we talked about democracy, that's a different uh, point uh, off of you, but I think the democratic societies, we, like, there is no perfect democracy as yes, coming from definition, but um, well of societies and democratic societies, uh, they have another challenge. And um, here I would even uh, like to refuse to discuss uh, systems and countries from the point of view of autocracy democracy but from the point of view of the happiness of each person 
and uh, democratic countries have been affected uh, with words like efficiency, individualism, career orientation. And these are not things that make you happy. These are the things that benefit the few, the efficiency, hard work, career-mindedness is everything that benefits the few and makes the feelings and negates personal needs the most. And I think some of the events that are happening, what we call autocracy, is just some of the leaders trying to, let's, let's, let's take Trump, for example. In his speeches, he was directly talking to the unintended, to people who were not in the eye of the system, who were the least benefited from efficiency, so to say. And this is, girl, this is so interesting. I'm here in, um, I, I spend in Berlin almost a week, and the happiest person I saw there was the musician, the black musician uh, in the subway, who waved at me, said I have a wonderful jacket and wished me a great day. And, and he was so smiling and cheerful and full of life, playing amazing music. So I ask myself why we create communities and societies where these people, the happiest people are marginalized and the efficient people who suffer and put their lives to achieve goals financially, they are glorified. So for me, it's a, Ukraine is also showing that there is a break of understanding how we should build societies. And my dream is so the world leaders come together and they don't discuss the economic benefits of cooperation, but they discuss how we can make lives of everyone better. And there are answers to that, but it's against interests of, of, of the few. And the, the impression I get from you, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is you feel that this is a break and you're going to go back to Ukraine. Uh, I, I was asked this question many times, and uh, I say in my mind, the war ends every day. So I'm like, okay, tomorrow it ends, tomorrow it ends. Although I realize that it can be a long term. Um, I have a good answer for that. It was the first time I was answered that. So <laughs> I'm prepared. It's, I'm lucky I don't have to choose. I am Ukraine here. So I'm Ukrainian. I am what I am. I will never leave that. And that's beautiful about it. I can be Ukraine. I can make Ukrainian and uh, inspire from here as well. And I can travel back home as well. So in, in this world, thanks God to the technologists, this is one of their benefits. I can be Ukraine whenever I go. And this is important. Like that. And, you know, you're the fir- you were the first wave of refugees and maybe your rave, you know, you had, you, you're an international, you, you've worked and traveled around the world. So maybe the refugees that are coming behind you, there's a lot of them, the people might never have left the country or are going to find it difficult. So is there something, do you think, is the West doing enough? Are we doing enough here in Europe to help? Is there something that we can do to help? Mm, As a sociologist, I immediately want to say that I need to first ask people. (laughs) But um, first of all, yes, I do thank everyone who who has been helpful. It's been done a lot. Again, I talk about people-to-people contact. It's amazing how everything is organized. And also people who travel for the first time, Ukrainians, I know how efficient my guys are. Like Kids go to school next day here. For some reason, this country is resilient. I think there is something in the tray of Ukrainian where you always have to survive no matter what conditions are. But uh, what Europe can do is, is close the sky. 
is um, hardened in the sanctions. So people don't leave. So people stay in their homes and uh, understand. Uh, everyone should understand that this is the fight for their Roman freedom. And uh, Putin is already, and Russian media is already discussing going beyond Ukraine on their talk shows because they follow Russian propaganda for, for jobs, so to say. This is my part of what I'm doing. The, the national talk shows there are discussing going beyond. And they said, like, if you think we stop with Ukraine, you're, you're wrong. So that's the fear I'm getting as well, that it won't stop there. So the sooner European and international community hits harder, the better it is for them, for us. I'll just give an example. I just heard on the radio this morning in Ireland, the west of Ireland, a little village in the very far west of Ireland called Liston Verna. And the head teacher was on the radio this morning saying they were taking in 14 Ukrainian kids starting in school today and they were going to get an extra teacher and already I think there's about 20,000 in Ireland and they said there could be 200,000 and I also know a friend in Switzerland that's going to take in a family and I think I think there's going to be great support it is the support the people are amazing everyone open supportive helpful and it's it's amazing how this opens up and that's why one of the projects I'm thinking of doing is about the thank you to, to to everyone that's why this is another gap Virgo you see that schools social structures are so open and politicians have still been discussing so there is such a gap between what people feel and do and what political systems decide so do they represent us as as you would like them to. That's the question exactly. for me. And, and that's why I'm doing this podcast, actually, because I think it is really important that Ukraine stays top of the news cycle, that we keep it isn't the story because, you know, being involved with media, that the news cycle, they move, it moves on. And the key is it for not to move on, for Ukraine to stay the top of the news cycle. Exactly. Exactly. This is media logic. We know it all. That's why I think podcasts, cultural events and everything which is non-news minded, it's the best way to talk about Ukraine and about events. So first of all, it's not depressing because people shut down from negative news. But when it's about human experiences, when it's about compassion, when it's about success, um, then it's, it's, um, it's something you want to hear walking your dog. And is it very difficult staying positive? I mean, looking into the future. For me, there are two things. First, uh, as a, I still call myself young professional, I always wanted to live abroad for a little bit more. So it's sort of among my goals. And um, when I move and think about opportunities, I am joyful. But the moment or the second you go back, to the news or you go back thinking about your family and about country and about everything you these people are losing it's terrifying and it's depressive and it's you miss your family as I said I still didn't go to peace with myself that I'm not going back I still have coffees with my friends in my head the other week so that's that's the difficult part it never leaves you it stays with you it's there and I am lucky because I didn't have lots of belongings I was still on the move um, and I just invested in my apartment in the, back in Ukraine it was not built yet but I don't have so much living behind as many people do 
And tell us, you, you mentioned your father, like speaking Ukrainian and Russian. Does that mean he was Russian descent or? No, everyone yeah. in Ukraine speaks Russian. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know yes, that. Yes, for us, uh, I speak Russian and uh, I can't speak Russian. Uh, the thing is that Ukraine was always chilled about language. In um, Even when we had laws about Ukrainian, at schools you would read Russian in original, not translated. You would have some TV. There are people who speak Russian uh, because their families speak Russian. So I even had a friend who spoke Russian and I speak Ukrainian and we wouldn't even switch. So that was the state of things. It has never been an issue for Ukrainians. It has always been politicized. But as we see, Ukrainian language was something that uh, Russia was always trying to destroy. And now they use it as a reason. So a lot of people switching, are switching more and more into Ukrainian um, because of symbolic reasons and everything. But it has never, it has never been a problem. Even now when I know that a person doesn't understand Ukrainian, when I talk to a Georgian or someone, I would switch to Russian with no problem because for me it's a matter of human communication. But of course in a political events i would i would never do it uh, asking for an english interpreter it's better than saying that you speak russian because this is a language of destruction many people compare our land to, to switzerland uh, other places where many languages are spoken and it's not the same because russian in ukraine is a language of destruction and and murder and it has always been in history and um the reason why so many ukrainians speak russian is because of murder and uh, of this deliberate politics of Soviets. Okay. Maybe a little bit similar. That sounds a little bit like Ireland. So we speak English. You know, we have Irish as well, but we, you know, we, that was our colonial language and we still speak it because it is quite handy to have. <laughs> but we still, you know, it still is our colonial language, you know. So I totally understand that. It, you're, the Ukrainians, I didn't know this until this, happened but he seemed very very similar to Irish people your personality you know you 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 always had a tradition of immigrating you know I think even because there's millions all over the world I think in America everywhere and you're stoic you've got great humor you've got great resilience so you're you're very European you must be very proud of your country I know that seems strange but it's not even when I think about country, now country is my people. I'm yeah. proud of my people. I'm proud to say I'm Ukrainian. And it's like, it's now means so much and a lot. And uh, it has always meant that. But there were times when I was younger when, you, when people didn't know it was Ukraine, Russia, and you had to explain. And the, But now the, the, the distinction is so clear. So, yes, I am proud to the moon and back to be <laughs> Ukrainian. That's lovely. And look... All we can do is just keep this in the new top of the news and do everything we can and support you in any way we can. So thank you so much. And thank you for, for keeping this going. It's very important. I hope you enjoyed our guest this week. I would ask that you please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review so that others discover this podcast. Six Seconds is a global nonprofit dedicated to growing emotional intelligence worldwide. Our work involves supporting individuals, teams 
and organizations to develop and practice emotional intelligence to help increase personal and organizational effectiveness. For more information on emotional intelligence and how Six Seconds Europe can help you, please go to sixseconds.org slash EU. Take care and see you next week. You are listening to Moments of Clarity, Journeys with EQ by Six Seconds Europe.